the beginning of a cult is so much fun. <laughs> or people wouldn't join. But once you start peeling back the layers of the onion, peeking behind the curtain, it's dark and it's it's scary. Everyone who joins these companies is a victim who then becomes a perpetrator. I was first a victim and then I became a perpetrator the moment I started to recruit. Today's episode is a cautionary tale about multi-level marketing companies, also known as MLMs, and being slightly different to a pyramid scheme or Ponzi schemes. Multi-level marketing is when a company has sellers like today's guest, Josie Nikoi, who sell a product, and part of the sale of that product is that the people who buy that product become sellers themselves below Josie, for example, and then those people get someone below them, and it's a whole hierarchy, pyramids but not exactly a pyramid scheme. I think the difference is that pyramid schemes, they don't actually have a product. Whereas whereas multi-level marketing, you know, you typically sell a certain thing, usually to do with fitness, some sort of juice or whatever it might be. And then those sellers sell the product and recruit new people below them and so on. With each tier, the money from the sales passes up the tree so that the bottom tiers make less and less money while it all floats up to the top. So a very small percent, like 1% of them get exceedingly rich and the rest struggle. This might seem like the dog-eat-dog world of any business. And I do ask Josie about what the difference is. Uh, In some respects, it it is like that. But MLMs use a mix of cult-like coercive techniques and pressure recruits to keep selling. Eventually, there is no one left to sell to, but the people at the bottom trying desperately to stay afloat are made to feel that it's their fault. If they leave, all the shunning and fair game techniques that we've been talking about to do with cults come into play. Josie Nikoi was in one of these MLMs. She doesn't specify uh, too much about it, uh, I think out of fear of retribution. She has since started her own brilliant YouTube channel with documentaries about cults. It's called Not The Good Girl. Go check it out. She really puts a lot of time and effort into her work and I am really a big fan. As a result, she's become an expert in cults and cult strategy. So the second half of this episode, we talk about the cults of Nixium, fitness scammers and the millionaire preacher with a weight loss cult. You're on the edge of MLMs and cults with Josie Nikoi. So, how did you first get into an MLM? What is an MLM? It's a complicated question. I'm, I'm doing several questions at once. And what, what were you up to at the time when you sort of got into an MLM? MLM stands for multi-level marketing, It's also known as network marketing, and uh, it is a legal opportunity in the United States for how to make money. Um, Many countries have banned MLMs, and um, that's which I think is a good thing. But at the time, it was 2013, and I was working as a hairstylist, and I had been a hairstylist for probably around five years at the time. And I was in medical debt because here in the United States, we don't have the NHS or anything like that, you know, no universal health care. And so I had had a shoulder injury, a whiplash injury, and I was going to physical therapy for that because my job, the repetitive motion, was really aggravating the injury. Even though I had what was supposed to be good insurance, the medical bills were just stacking up. And I remember thinking, I don't know how I can pay this off. I need another way to make money. Um, What do I do? Like, I can't take on any more clients. I was already booked six months ahead. I didn't take new clients and my body's just not a machine. I could only do what I could do. 
And so I had been approached before by some MLM companies, but at the time, I really didn't know what an MLM was. Um, I had heard of pyramid schemes. And I had been approached by somebody with, I don't know, it was... (laughs) maybe Arbon and uh, maybe Advocare or something like that. But the reason I, I didn't even look into those was because they got out a little napkin and they were like, let me draw for you, you know, how you can make money with this. And it just, it looked like a pyramid scheme. And I just was like, I don't understand this. This sounds weird. Math isn't my thing. I'm good. Um, but at that time that I was battling with my injury, I wanted to lose some weight and get healthier. I was just trying to be my healthiest to help the injury. And so I was looking into some like protein shakes, meal replacements, and also some fitness uh, DVDs. And I came across a company. I'm not going to say the name because they are every MLM is pretty much Sue happy and they go after former distributors. Um, and I came across it and I thought, let me try it. Uh, I had a friend who was like doing it. And I remember reaching out to her and I messaged her. I said, hey, can I order this product from you? And she was like, sure. Do you want to join? Do you want to sign up? Because then you can get a discount and you know, you'll know you get all discount, discount on um, all the products. And I remember thinking, oh, hell no. Like <laughs> whatever it is, like this is because I would see people selling it. I would see I had other friends who were doing it. This like crust, cluster of group. I used to be a runner and the entire runners group I was a part of started selling it. And they were constantly on Facebook, like in your face, like this is on sale today, buy it now. And I just was like, this is, this is gross. Like I don't want any part of that. <laughs> and so I said, I would rather pay you more <laughs> to not join. That's what I said to her. So she was like, <laughs> okay, whatever. So I purchased the product. I tried it. I really liked the product. I really, really liked it. And so I started looking more into, okay, can you make money with this? How does it work? And while I was Googling, a video popped up and it was with the CEO of the company and the top person. And I remember thinking, well, no wonder she's at the top. She looks like Barbie. Um, like, of course, you know, but I clicked on the video anyway to hear like more about this. And she was telling her story of how she had been a broke bartender. She had been hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical debt because her baby was born premature and she didn't have health insurance at the time. And so I and the baby had to stay in the NICU and all that. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a thing here, unfortunately, in the US. And so I remember resonating with that story that she told and she seemed really genuine. And she seemed like, you know, because of this opportunity with this business that has helped me live my healthiest life, I have now been able to help others also create an income and provide for their families. And she was making millions a year. I just wanted like an extra $500 a month (laughs) to help with bills. And so her story was what got me. And we had a saying in the MLM industry is facts tell, but stories sell. And it did. It sold me. And I I remember reaching out to her and I said, hey, can you tell me more info about I think you have a team I could join? How does that work? And it really just went from there. I signed up with her. um, And 16 months later, I quit my job. I was doing it full time. And I rose up to be one of the in the top 1% of the company. And I was loving it the first two years. I always tell my husband that like 
the beginning of a cult is so much fun. <laughs> or people wouldn't join, you know. Um, but once you start peeling back the layers of the onion, peeking behind the curtain, it's dark and it's it's scary. And so it it was good for a couple of years and then, whew. So you, you wouldn't be able to say what that company was or who that Barbie woman was? You know, I wouldn't ever call her out or anybody that I was in that with other than if I was talking with you one-on-one off camera, you know, I might, I would say the CEO. Um, but the reason I don't name distributors ever is because here's the thing. Everyone who joins these companies is a victim who then becomes a perpetrator. I was first a victim and then I became a perpetrator, a perpetrator the moment I started to recruit. So you know, I, I don't I don't want to put, um, yes, everyone has some blame to carry, but the insidious thing is that these are illegal. Um, and the CEOs who start these, they know what they're doing. They know that most of the people are going to lose money. I think the FTC uh, government website says that 99.4% of people will lose money. They know that they aren't giving you all the information when you start up. They know how to um, use coercive control and undue influence and also make the compensation plan difficult enough to where you don't understand it, but you know that you can earn money, you can make compensation through just selling the products so you get a commission, and that you can also earn money through recruiting and building a team and earning a percentage of what they earn. And so it's really, um, it's insidious because you you don't have all the facts when you join. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it is very similar to other kinds of cults, isn't it? Where there's that really fine line between perpetrator and victim. Um, but also you say like a huge percentage of people didn't earn any money. How is it that you were able to do so well? What was different? Was it was it a case of getting in there early or, or something that makes you just good at selling? It's not just that people don't make any money. They A lot of them lose money. Most of them lose money. And for me, I like to tell people this because they ask, oh, well, you just must be good at sales. You're charismatic, yada, yada, yada. Listen, it has nothing to do with how good of, at sales you are. It has nothing to do with um, how much of a hard worker you are, although they like to tell you that. Oh, it's you just have to believe and think positive and work hard and you'll get results. Um, and there's a lot of people who work hard and they lose a lot of money. You have to have a large network to pull from. That's the only way that you're going to get sales and be able to build your team is through your network. And I didn't know it, but I had a large network built up online and in person. I say I didn't know it because I didn't realize that's what made you successful. I just shared it with the people I knew and it kind of built up for me, you know? Um, But I had a hair clientele in my community. I was booked six months ahead. I didn't take new clients. I was already established there. Um, and then I had an online community where I had started uh, like a Facebook page at the time. And I was just um, blogging my weight loss journey on Facebook. And so I had thousands of followers built up, maybe, I don't know, like 6,000 followers or something on there as well. And so I had those both of those networks to pull from and that's huge because that's how you make it. I mean, that's all it comes down to. These things are often and I know you can't go into detail about your specific one, I guess, but these things are often about beauty products and fitness and things like that and you were blogging about a a weight loss show, um a weight loss uh, blog, you know. So, um man, what what am I thinking? I'm just thinking like how 
Okay, so what actually happens? Lay it out for me. Like you've got a product. That's what I understand is the difference between a pyramid scheme and an MLM. An MLM, you've actually got a product to sell, right? And this is a product that does something for beauty or fitness, or it's supposed to help people. Is it? Was it a good product? Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's that's one of the things when I spoke out against. Like I tried when I left the industry after almost six years. I tried not to speak out. I was extremely indoctrinated. And I believe that if I spoke out, I would be a bitter person. I would attract bad things to me. Um, and I didn't want to do that. So I tried for so long to just act like nothing was wrong. Everything was fine. But I was the shell of the person I was when I left. Um, I was depressed. I was not the same person. I couldn't figure out what was going on and why I felt the way I did. I didn't realize that psychologists call these um, commercial cults. I didn't know that at the time. Once I found out, it made a lot of sense. Um, but Okay, where was I going with this? <laughs> you had asked me about. Well, I I want to know. Uh, yeah, what what, what actually what you would actually do day day to day what you're doing, like, you know, what you are selling and what that involves. So when you're selling, you are. It can be a multitude of things. You have a product. You are also recruiting. You're also making your content calendar. You're also doing calls with your team. You're also uh, educating your team, having lots of groups. You're also in education groups that are these secret private little groups on Facebook all over. You're in trainings. You're constantly on conference calls. You are attending events. You, It is nonstop 24-7. And how does the transaction go? So somebody's about to bite. I imagine that's a nice feeling. And you are saying to them, are you saying take the product? But and, and then like the people said to you, you'll get a discount. Uh, but if you also now work, then I will be your, what was it, upline? Upline. So this specific company, we would be called like their fitness mentor, uh, even though we don't really have any qualifications for that. Um, but yeah, it's the same in every company. Like I will be your guide. I will help you on this if you want to make a little bit of money. But what you're really supposed to do is emotionally manipulate them. And of course, they don't say that, but that's what you are trained to do. So for example, there's one thing called FORM, which stands an acronym that stands for Family Occupation recreation message. So let's say that I add you on Facebook. I see you're a friend of a friend. And I'm like, I think he would be great for my team. What you are trained to do is friend them and then you message them and uh, you ask them some questions about your family. So I would ask you about your family. Like, oh, you have uh, a girlfriend or a wife from Argentina. Like, oh, my husband's from there too. Very cool. You know, uh, establish that rapport. You did say that, Josie, to me when I emailed you. You did. You did. I did, but I meant it. <laughs> I <have> no <laughs> oh no, am I being had? <laughs> See, I got you all along. No. <laughs> Oh no! What have I? I only bought ten ten thousand dollars worth well, of your stuff. I have twenty thousand more to sell arriving you. Arriving in the post. <laughs> oh my god! So then I would, so I would give it some time, and then I would ask you about your occupation. So tell me, what is it you do? What do you like about it? How long have you been doing it? Then you're supposed to later on. Not it's not all supposed to be done at once. You're supposed to ask them about recreation. What are your hobbies? What do you like to do? I saw that you used to be a BBC journalist. So you traveled a lot. Tell me about, did you like that? What do you do for traveling now? You know, things like that. You get to know their hobbies. Then after you've learned about their family, their occupation, their recreation, you go in for the kill with a message. And then you've completed form. You've formed them. And the message is supposed to say, hey, 
you know, I've got to know you over this time. And, you know, your family seems so great. You seem like such a great family person that you really care about them. Um, Your occupation sounds good. Uh, I know it keeps you super busy. And, you know, we have so much in common with our hobbies. Um, I think you might be a great candidate for this business opportunity I have. Would you be interested in learning more? Then you form them. And how long does it start from from F to M? How how are we talking hours, days, or weeks? Um, it's supposed to be weeks at least. But I mean, nowadays with how social media is, it seems like a lot of people were just going in for the kill right off the bat. You you know, you're constantly getting messages like, "Hey, you look like you'd be a great candidate for my team." Yada yada. Or there's another way, which is um, another emotional manipulation tactic, which is you are supposed to ask them. Um, do you have any dreams or desires? What are your dreams or goals? And they're like, oh, I, I don't really know. And you're like, well, is there anything that you would like to do with your family or next year or something? Oh, I'd love to take a vacation. Okay, you'd love to take a vacation. Where? And you get them talking about their dreams and desires and why they can't do those things right now. And then you offer them the opportunity as the vehicle to their dreams and desires. Are these people not saying though? Before you've gone in with the message, are they not saying like, why is this person? Why is this person who I don't know added me on Facebook? Why just talking to me about my private life, personal? Because I I assume some people think, oh, this person's coming on to me, for example. Uh, And 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 would you have ever used? that sort of or do sellers use that sort of sexuality in any way use sexuality well if it's like if they if if the friend that they're adding a friend of a friend is is a man who's clearly single for example Mm. i'm sure that it happens sure i mean the uh Children of God cult used women to go into bars to recruit. They called it flirty fishing. You know, I'm sure that happens across the board. Um, what the best way to do it? The the way that is probably the most sneaky is through an influencer lifestyle because then you're you're getting people to follow you and you're building trust with these people and it it forms a parasocial relationship. So like when I reached out to that woman who I was inspired by her story and I could relate to her story with the medical debt and everything and wanting a better life for her family. And she reached out back to me and started asking me questions about myself. I was flattered. I was like, oh my gosh, she has like so many followers. She's this millionaire. She has this huge thriving business. And now she she's interested in me. I was flattered. So it's yeah that's amazing because so they're coming to you because i've had those and i'm sure most listeners will relate to this as well that we've had those messages and often they do miss out the f o and r part of form uh you just get a message straight away hey do you want to buy this and you're just instantly like who is this (laughs) whereas i can see how if if it was like someone i really admired if i was you know i'm a big fan of a, a documentary maker here called louis theroux and if i messaged him like hey mate and then he started asking me about my life i'd be like really flattered like oh well, he's quite interested in my life. And if by the end of it, he's saying, man, this is the thing I bought. You sh-. In fact, a podcaster did do, uh, Chris Williamson, the, who does Modern Wisdom podcast, and he said, you should pay for this course for YouTube. And that's like a pyramid scheme because it's like YouTubers teaching other YouTubers to YouTube. And I did do the course, but it, it helped me. So uh, I, I didn't sell it to anyone else, though. The course, the courses are a weird world. I go... I think that there are legitimate courses out there, but there's a yeah. lot of scammers out there too. It's yeah, it's wild, wild west out here on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much like 
there is a lot of like I, I guess they call it the creator economy or whatever there's a lot of like yeah social media people teaching people to social media so they can teach people to social media which is a bit weird and stuff but i guess it's also a, a use so that's where the fine line is because it's not really i don't think that's that that culty really a few decades ago private citizens used to be largely that private what's changed the internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. How many people are at your at your peak? So I gather you, so you're on a six figure salary, and how many people did you have? Um, what what would you call it? A down downline or mm-hmm. your downline people? So my first year I made around thirty thousand. My second year I made around seventy seventy five thousand. My third year I think I made a hundred and six thousand, um, and that was my peak. That was the highest I ever earned. Um, I recruited hundreds and hundreds of women throughout the years. Uh, I was in for five and a half years. I left the first company after I saw, I'd been in three and a half years, I want to say, and I left it after I saw a lot of really bad behavior. I saw things come to light and uh, especially cult-like behavior. But at the time I thought, oh, this is just this company I need to find, uh, you know, a good company who cares about its distributors and, 
and yeah, and wants to help them. And I need to find that company. I didn't realize at the time that it was the industry. But when you start, when you sign up, one of the very first things that my upline did was she said, I want you to read this book. Um, and then I want you to read this book and this book and this book. And yeah, I want you to read them front to back. And they recommend all these self-help books to you that are constantly... This is where the indoctrination starts, along with all the training groups. But the books are constantly basically saying there are no victims in life. And whatever happens to you is a result of something you've done or brought about. And so you're constantly hearing this kind of uh, rhetoric. You're also reading books on network marketing and the MLM industry and how they always say, network marketing isn't perfect. It's just better. And job stands for just over broke. And you don't want to be one of those mediocre people with a job because they're not trying hard enough. You want more for your life. You're going to make your dreams happen. That's why you're here. That's why you chose network marketing. So, you know, when I started seeing problems with my first company, I was like, it's just the company. And then I joined two other companies, built pretty high in those, and then realized, no, no, this is this is the entire industry. And I was also speaking with other top 1% people. um, And I would hear what they would say behind the scenes as well. Because what they would say versus what they would show online, completely two different things. I mean, people were getting hospitalized with stress, uh, you know, horrible problems. My upline was hospitalized several times. The doctors were like, we don't, we're not sure what it is, but we definitely think it's stress. (laughs) I had another upline who was hospitalized. I mean, it's just... It's really gross behind the scenes. The culty, my culty senses are tingling, especially with the the self help stuff about everything being your own fault and your own responsibility. Um, that's very that's well, that's every cult, isn't it? In Scientology and Nexium, they do that a lot. You pulled it in, they say in Scientology. So anything that happens to you is in some way something that you could have sort of avoided. Um, and at cause is another way they talk about it, and they do that in Nexium as well. You know, I was at cause, um, and that's really quite an addictive. Feature. Feeling, isn't it? Because I guess you go through life uh, often thinking, oh God, I guess you can go either way and you can either go like, oh, everything's conspiring against me and that's not really going to help you. But then somebody comes along and says to you like, no, no, it's you. You've got the power. And that's a really exciting, thrilling feeling. I think Jordan Peterson says a lot of that stuff as well. And he gets people around him. And I don't think it's entirely wrong either. And that's, I guess, what's so alluring is that there's like grains of truth in all of these things. You do have to sort of lift yourself up sometimes if you want to get somewhere. But you know, there are, there are limits to that. And there are absolutely victims, you know, people become victimized by bad people and bad behavior. It happens. Yeah. And so it it is empowering though. Like you say, I mean, I was empowered. I was like, I thought I was on top of the world and I, I'm a feminist, you know, I I'm so embarrassed to say, but I thought I was helping women. I thought I was giving women a chance for financial opportunity. And I was so proud of that. And I was so excited about that, you know, and you form this bond with these people where it's like a sisterhood. I didn't recruit men, so I wouldn't have recruited you. (laughs) But, you know, I formed a sisterhood with the women on my team. And, I, you know, even to this day, there's relationships I miss so much. But it's everything in a cult is conditional, that black and white thinking, you know, I mean, they act like we're going to be here forever for you. We we will always be friends till the end, no matter what. Um, and these people know your family. They know like your deepest, darkest secrets. You know, theirs. I mean, you guys are tight. That's because 
there's a lack of boundaries in a cult. That's why people become so codependent. Um, you know, but when you leave, like when I did, I mean, I was shunned like that. They, I was blocked by people I, I considered close, close friends. Um, I was blocked. There were videos made about those of us who were leaving, calling us, compare, one of them compared us to Lamar Odom, saying that we weren't team players. And this was like in the middle of his, when he was going through a, a drug crisis and all this stuff. And we were just like, whoa, like we're just going to another company. Like we still have love for you. And it didn't matter. Like you were pretty much dead to them. When you were most involved, did did you feel the, the culty stuff taking charge of part of your brain did you uh, you know the, the Scientology term is fair game did you fair game people who left or or at least feel angry and deserted by them oh I absolutely felt angry when they would leave I don't think I ever blocked anyone though I'm not going to say I haven't because listen I was a part of that cult too okay but I mean I I would be angry. Yes, I wouldn't ever go off on somebody for leaving. I would. I would be nice. I would hope that they would come back, <laughs> and you know, and I would just be like, okay, I understand. But then in the back of my head, I'm like, well, it's because you didn't work hard enough at your business. You should have worked harder because that's that's what it is. Like, I mean, in in the MLMs, if you don't succeed, it's because you didn't work hard enough. You didn't try hard enough. So you obviously didn't want it bad enough. That's the message. Do you think some people would be listening thinking, you know, you described the, the people at the top were actually very stressed and, and you know, hospitalized with stress. Um, but there were a lot of jobs like that. I mean, so, so apart from the coercive, you know, fair gaming they do if you want to leave and you, that, what is it that makes this different? So with a job, you have some employee protections. I say some because the U.S. doesn't have as many as I feel that they should. Um, but you still have employee protections. If you get fired or if something happens, you can file for unemployment. A lot of the times um, you have workers' rights. You have no workers' rights in these companies, not one. You can't file for unemployment if something happens. And that's because they classify you through the IRS as a 1099 contract worker. What does that mean? Well, that means that you're, you provide services uh, to the company and that they can terminate those services whenever they want. You're not an employee. Okay. And then so is it just that the people are just so, so stressed because because the culture's so, so you know, is there bullying and things? And, and also is there just that pressure to, to sell and it's just not, you're not able to sell? Sure. The bullying, the pressure, um, but also the boundary crossing. Okay. So if you're at a job, if you're an employee and your manager comes up and is like, Andrew... Tell me about your deepest, darkest desires. Tell me about where your money's going and how much you need and where you want it to go and what you're going to use it for. I can help you do that. Like you'd be like, whoa, lady, like I'm not telling you about my bank account or anything like that. Well, that's normal in these companies. There's, there's a complete lack of boundaries and nothing can be done about it because you're not an employee. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, the waters it's just very they're so murky what's the the worst thing is there something that stands out the worst thing that you saw sort of one human do to another in in the mlms you know cults thrive on secrecy and so when you are constantly in these private groups with your upline or another leader in from corporate or somebody here, and then you're in these other little training groups, and then, oh, we're going to make a private group for the top leaders of this team, um, it really starts, 
a lot of gossip. It starts uh, bad behavior, and then it's oh, it's always a secrecy, and you're like, oh well, like, are, are can I trust them? Are they saying bad things about me? Is it? And it's just it's insidious, and it permeates the entire pyramid on down this like cult. And then you're always like, oh well, I heard so and so was thinking about leaving and going to this company, and then. It, it, yeah, it's it's pretty gross. I can understand that. I'm I'm writing a book about the psychology of secrets and secrecy at the moment and what it can do to a person. So that really uh, that really is quite pertinent. Um, and I, you know, it tears people apart that kind of secrecy and and having to live around that. So um, I, I get that. And and then what was it then? What was the was there like a final? Was there a nail in the coffin that that pushed you to be like, I got to get out of here? I do want to say I did see. I would say the worst thing I saw that happened to somebody. Um, um, it was a friend of mine. She had joined under my upline um, probably a few years before I did. And we became friends because we were on the same team. She was, I mean, her husband left work to come home and do this with her because she was making that much money. Uh, they had two kids. And oh, yeah, retiring your spouse is a big thing <laughs> that they push you to do so that you're fully wow. dependent on the company. Um, and so he was working at home with her. Um, and towards the end of 2016 with my first company, we sold, you know, meal replacement shakes and fitness DVDs and streaming was starting to pass us by and our sales plummeted. I mean, we went from making a lot of money to being like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay my bills in like the span of a month. That's how fast things started to go down. Our paychecks were cut by like 60, 75%. And I remember we would ask the CEO, we would ask the uplines, what can we do to earn more money? Like we're not afraid of working. We'll work. Just give us, you know, tell us what we can do. And we were gaslit and we were told, oh no, nothing's changed. You just need to work harder. And that was when I first, because I got gaslit. And so I realized like, wait a minute, wait a minute, like they've been telling me to tell my downline when they come to me and they're like, I'm not making money. What can I do? You know, yada, yada. And I would say, oh, you just need to work harder, you know, read more personal development. Let's go over your goals again, yada, yada. No. So we were gaslit about the income going down and we we were constantly told nothing's changed. You just need to work harder. So people started looking for other companies to make money in. And at the time, the policies and procedures of this company that we, we had signed said that we could work for another company as long as it wasn't one that was competing. And so no fitness company. So other people started joining these other companies and the CEO got pissed off about it, knowing that like, yeah, your company's kind of tanking. And so he changed the policies and procedures that day and that day, my friend and so many other people were boom, let go. And she lost her entire, her family lost their entire income in a day. And there was nothing they could do about it. They, I mean, they didn't really have income from this other company. They had just signed up and there was no unemployment she could ask for, nothing like that. Um, and I just saw that happen to so many families. I saw lives or livelihoods destroyed just by jealousy and pettiness. Are you able to keep in touch with any of the people? And I mean, are there people out there now who hate you, who think you, you know, mis misguided them and misdirected them? Oh, I'm sure there are. I haven't had anybody that I signed up message me and say that. Um, I did reach out to some and apologize for recruiting them, but a lot of them are still in. And they don't want to talk to me. They don't want anything to do with me because I'm a deserter. And then I spoke out against 
not just the company, but the entire industry. So I'm looked at as like a bitter, negative person who's just bitter and pissed off she couldn't build her business. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so yeah. You sad to have lost uh, some of those friendships? Yeah. Yeah. Is that hard? Yeah. Whole, the whole thing is just a complete mess. Yeah, you get out and you think, what happened? How did I get here? Because like I said, the first couple years of a cult are so fun. And you, you have these close bonds with people and you're like, this is amazing. Like, this is what I've been missing out <laughs> my whole life. And whew, yeah. So have you been able to rebuild any semblance of a, a new social life since? Um, I'm a lot less trusting. So when you come out of these things, I mean, it changes you and you're just like, who, like you first doubt yourself. At least I can, I'm only speaking from my experience, but you doubt yourself and you're like, okay, I thought that I was right about this. I believed in this fully. And like, I worked so hard at it. What else in my life am I thinking is good and right? And I'm like totally screwing up and don't know. So you doubt yourself. You don't trust yourself. And then you also, um, you don't trust other people because, you know, you think like, wait a minute, what, why didn't anybody say anything to me? Like there's things that you find out later on that you wish you would have known. And you're like, why wasn't something said to me about it? You know, and you're told that you feel guilty and then you feel shame as well because you're told in these cults when you leave, like, yeah, your life's going to suffer. Like you're going to, it's not going to go well for you. You're going to be sad and miserable and you're going to wish you had this back. And so you're out here and you're sad and miserable and you're like, shit, this is what they said would happen. <laughs> so it is a, I mean, fortunately I got into, th into therapy and that's helped tremendously. And I read Stephen Hassan's book, Combating My, uh, Cult Mind Control. He was a member of the Moonies. Um, and, you know, that's helped me kind of untwist my brain uh, into what the MLM industry distorted it into. Oh, I'm pleased to hear that at, at least. And, and also, you've you started this brilliant YouTube channel uh, where you expose all sorts of different kinds of cults, uh, whether they be you know religious ones or more sort of marketing kinds of ones. Tell me a little bit about the millionaire preacher with a weight loss cult. <laughs> Gwen Shamblin. Yeah, she was very interesting. Um, people ask me, like, what's the the craziest cult leader you've ever done. And, and, you know, I think probably the worst one I've covered was Keith Ranieri. But if you want to talk about Looney and just like out of their mind, that would be Gwen Shamblin. Um, Gwen Shamblin started as a, she has a registered dietitian and she started a program designed around the Bible and the God of Christianity and made it about weight loss. And it grew from there. It became extremely successful. And then she started her own church. And she denied that um, Christians believe in uh, the Trinity. And she denied the Trinity by saying that she didn't believe that uh, Jesus had the same power as God and was basically on the same level and more so that he was like a prophet. And by doing this, she was setting herself up to say, I am a prophet. This is quite, some of this stuff is quite smart because, you know, I wouldn't even think about those things. And she's sitting there. 
and and that's also the difficult thing because we're always trying to wonder you know are they are they aware that they're fooling people or do they really believe in their own powers and if she's sitting there sort of working it out like okay well if jesus is on this kind of level of the hierarchy well then i suppose i can be on this level i guess it's quite smart and i think that that manipulation it just becomes second nature and you know it's it just becomes a way of life but if it justifies the end goal then it's worth it in their minds and it was the same thing in the mlm industry you know when i talk about forming people we believe like you know if they just got in you know they would have a better way of life and they would be so thankful so it really you know yeah so that manipulation becomes just a second nature what do you think it is about that a combination of weight loss and religion that worked for people who joined that cult that's insidious. So it's a, it, that's a dark thing because you're you're not just using regular manipulation. Now you're using spiritual manipulation against people. And you know I'm not religious, but I come from that background. I was raised in fundamentalism, and so you know when you are overweight, people who are overweight are judged severely, um, you know, by others in society, and it's it's hard. It's, 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 it's just, it's just hard. And so by saying that, oh, I have this program for you, but also this is what God wants for you. God wants you to be thin because then you'll be your best person. That's, that's really terrible. And what kinds of things was she doing then? So people would, would sign up and then what would happen to them? Well, she did get in trouble and got sued because she, her, uh, her, company was called Way Down Ministries. And her it was like the Way Down Workshop is what it was called. And so at Way Down Ministries, she had people come in and they were working, you know, answering the calls, doing everything for the center, sending out shipments, whatnot. Um, and then she started telling them, you have to go to my church. <laughs> And you have to be a member of my church if you're going to work here. Well, that's illegal in the United States. And so she did get sued for that. Um, and I believe she settled out of court with several uh, employees. And she started because she started firing people who uh, refused to go to her church or who went to her church and then left it. Um, but in her church, she would tell people that they are they have the Antichrist in them. And that her church was the one true church, and it was pure, and um, they would be the ones resurrected by God when the rapture happened, and only the true church would be a part of God's return, basically. I suppose, I mean, we were talking uh, before we started recording about my exorcism documentary, uh, and it does make, I did start to feel that um, a lot of religious stuff revolves around um, expelling something, whether it be a demon um or, or or suffering giving something up all the time so i can see how that weight loss element uh you know if you've you're, you've got the devil in you and you can sort of shed pounds and the sort of sweat out the devil you know <laughs> you can expel your fat <laughs> well yeah did, did that get quite big with gwen shamblin's cult so I don't, um, in my research, I didn't find anything about exorcisms, but she would make members of her church, they had to buy her way down uh, plans. And then she also started a subscription for her company. And they had to buy the subscription, the monthly subscription. And they had to attend the way down workshops every week uh, throughout the week when they weren't in church. And she would even at during church, she would bring people up on stage 
regularly, if not every week, to speak into the microphone about how much weight they've lost, um, how much, how their life has changed since joining Remnant Fellowship, which was her church name, and at giving all the glory to Gwen. You know, not really God, but like to Gwen, and it was it was nonstop. And then if people would gain weight. They would get shunned. Um, they would be called into the church offices and reprimanded. Uh, they also had all the elders. Gwen was very calculating. She was extremely strategic. I've never seen um, a woman in the church do what she did. So she basically set up her church where she was the founder of Remnant Fellowship. But she said her husband, David Champlin, was the leader. He really didn't have anything to do with it. And he became overweight as time went on too. So she actually put him in the background. (laughs) Yeah. She put him in the background and like he stopped coming and she was the one giving sermons every week, but on paper it looked like, Oh, she was just part of it, but not the leader because in Christian circles, women usually don't lead. And then underneath her, she had all the elders of the church, a big group of them. They were all men. So she, she was the only woman she elevated in her church. But then when women in her church would come in for counseling and say, my husband's being abusive, you know, I need help. She would say, you need to go back and you need to submit to your husband. And, you know, they would even go into their homes and like the elders would convince the hus- the wives to stay with the husbands, even if they had had an affair, no matter what. It was crazy. So the women were definitely subjugated to Gwen's cruelty more than I would say the men, but everyone was subjugated to it, including the children. There was a child that died. <gasps> How? Uh, his name is Joseph Smith. And Gwen taught corporal punishment uh, when it comes to raising kids. She had strict lessons about how you punish your children. And um, her church members were expected to follow that. And so you were, you know, she's on record um, in a recording saying how uh, somebody had a showdown with a two-year-old. And um, it was a showdown that that two-year-old would never forget. And their behavior has been better. And now that the, now the parents are more relaxed and the family unit is happier. And one of her uh, members of her church, uh, they put their child in a room um, for several days. I guess they thought he was acting out. And then they put him in a box for a little while. And uh, I believe he suffocated. But when, <sighs> when they did... <sighs> the autopsy. He had bruises all over. She would tell uh, people to beat their kids with glue sticks because they didn't leave as dark of marks, things like that. That's, that is awful. I, it's, it's such a weird thing because I, before starting looking into these stories, and I don't know if you feel the same way, I had this feeling of, um, I don't know, maybe a maternal and a paternal instinct of always protecting the child. And then you hear more and more stories where that just doesn't seem to be the case and if you have a strong enough reason to not love your child or to treat them badly then then i think humans will do that how do you feel about that it's terrible and what's even worse is that a lot of times these things are done um under the facade of oh this is for their own benefit 
and this is this is out of love and we are disciplining this child out of love and this is what he needs or he will grow up and he will be uncontrollable he won't be able to function um, and we don't want that do we you want to show love to your kid well you show love through discipline you know it's that type of behavior and so it gets twisted in the minds of these followers and I'm not saying that they're not responsible you have to carry some of the blame and those parents absolutely carry the blame they went to jail um, and Gwen still to this day her church has a website up talking about uh, I think it's called the Smiths are innocent.com because the last name was Smith and they defended they paid for the entire defense of the parents um, and they tried saying that the marks on the boy's body was from eczema and all these terrible things um, and yeah so when I did that story uh, I released it in January of this year that website was still up it's funny his name was Joseph Smith. It's the leader of the Mormon church, was the, or the founder. And I believe his name was Joseph. I hope I'm correct on that. Um, yeah, but it's, I know their last names are Smiths. Yeah. That's quite incredible. What, what a weird thought, the whole church, this idea that there's a place somewhere where there's a church and this woman who was a beauty queen and a reality show wannabe is getting people up onto her stage and like weighing them and shouting out their, their weight and stuff. Well, she, she wasn't a beauty queen. Um, she actually, she, so she didn't believe in divorce. And that's why she told all the women to stay with their husbands, no matter what. Um, but then she met Joe Lara, who had been the actor who played Tarzan in Manhattan. And she met him. He started going to her church. He was working as a handyman. And they fell in love. And within, she got divorced. And within 60 days, she married Joe Lara. And they became like a sideshow. Basically, I mean, they were they, they were like a circus act, but they tried to start getting full custody of Joe Lara's daughter. And the mother was like, no, that's not going to happen. She was a former beauty queen and, and, and an actress. Um, and Joe was also an actor. So it was a complete mess. And they're fighting in court. Like, I mean, her some of her top elders were lawyers and they work for the church. And I mean, they were extremely sue happy. It was a nightmare until it all went up in flames down in a plane. What a weird, weird church. <laughs> they are weird. They freak me out. Um, you said before that perhaps the most egregious uh, was, was Keith Raniere, who, who uh, for those who don't know, is, is, was the leader of Nixium. Uh, tell me a little bit. I mean, what, what is it about him? He's in prison now. That is so scary. I would say the scariest thing that he did, because there were many, but probably the, the scariest was imprisoning a woman who he had groomed since I think she was 16 years old, Daniela. And then um, he took her papers and her passport because she was from, she's a citizen of Mexico. She was not a citizen in the US. And he had smuggled her in back into the United States when the US said, oh, you know, she needs to go back. I guess her time's up, whatever, her visa's up. They smuggled her into, they got her into Canada. And then they drove her down into the U.S. to Clifton Park so that she could be back with Keith because he had groomed her. They were having this relationship. And then she had been in for maybe like six years and she's in her 20s and she kissed another guy. And she, he was also a Nexium. And she made the mistake of telling Keith and confessing to him what she had done. And he locked her in a room for two years with nothing but a mattress and a pen and paper to write him love letters and apologies. And 
he wouldn't he know he didn't speak to her the whole time he was in there he had his minions going in there and saying oh you know you've you've committed an ethical breach uh by what you did to keith and the whole cult shunned her and but yet they locked her in this room took her passport and her papers and they said you know you need to write letters of apologies to keith it was horrible and she testified against him wow wow what a what a horrible person my word. And I know he is anyway, but I mean, to do that and for the cult, I think people don't realize that with Nexium because it doesn't have the same sort of religious folklore stuff that Scientology has. Um, and it does seem sort of, I mean, it disguised itself as just a multi-level marketing company. And I say just, I mean, you've just told me about the horrors of MLMs, but that kind of thing, you know, locking someone in a, was she just, you know, actually locked in? She couldn't get out. No, she couldn't get out. And she was she's just kept in the well it was a house that they all lived in so like members of the cult lived in this house so i mean they would bring her food and and put it in the room and lo and then shut the door and leave like i mean that was how it was for her for two years um and i mean like that cult had been her world she had been with them since she was a teenager her family was very devoted to nexium and believed in nexium so there's a recording where keith is talking to her mother and saying you know we need to keep daniella here for a while she's committed an unethical breach or an ethical breach and you know if we don't fix this in her she will be a horrible person who destroys lives she will be a monster and her mother can be heard saying Whatever it is, you know, you want to do, I understand. Like, I just want this fixed. See, again, again, it's just like, the you know, mothers and fathers uh, just completely ignoring their children, letting their children get into the hands of these awful people who they think, I suppose, are good people. That reminds me, did you ever hear that story uh, about Tom Cruise with his niece? Mm -mm. That I think, it, I mean, it goes that, that the niece was, uh, had, had kissed a boy or something like that. She was like 15 and he like banished her from the family, sent her to like another part of the country and like she wasn't allowed to leave or come back for something like two years, wasn't allowed to speak to any of the family. He's a weirdo. I don't like that man. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm wondering why he cares so much about who his niece is kissing. That's what I would want to know. Because he's a basically a cult leader yeah. have you done much on scientology so <laughs> there's several videos i want to release on scientology my husband's nervous he's nervous for me to do that because of how scientology is i'm like come on it's, we're like it's okay like it's we're to that point now i don't know if they're going after people still <laughs> it's it is scary it like, is. people say to me all the time like like oh are you what because i do a lot on tom cruise and scientology particularly on youtube now and it is a bit scary but then nothing's happened yet um but but with you, it's like, which cult's it going to be? Because your entire channel is like, you know, maybe Scientology <laughs> are too busy now because there are so many people speaking out about them. But, oh, now it could be Nixium or... I mean, does that weigh on you? It does. It really did uh, more before I had media liability insurance. So I now have that to protect myself. I'm ready. What does it, that mean? It means if they come after me, if they try and sue me, I have liability insurance that'll provide a certain amount and I'll... I'll say bring it on like <laughs> being sued is not the biggest concern though is it no but it is a big concern I mean I've been it threatened is. by before with legal action from uh I just had that happen with a company saying like oh your video in, on Jen Shaw has confidential information of our company yada yada and, and we're gonna threaten litigation and then they just disappeared and I'm not like deleting the video like they told me to but you know you're right yeah there's worse things that can happen which like which is why we're scared to do one on Scientology um I mean 
you know, I, I know that you have to document everything if those things happen. It's just something you take on when you do this type of content. You understand that it can happen. Yeah, some of the stuff Mike Rinder, who left Scientology, was talking about, it's just like they're outside his window with binoculars, just just like everywhere he goes. Um, I mean, they don't tend to actually go after you and, and kill you. I mean, uh, there, there are religions where that can be even scarier, and like ones I wouldn't speak out, you know, as seeing what happened to Salman Rushdie just a, a few months ago, you know? I do believe that Keith Raniere had uh, several women killed. There's a documentary, the missing. Wow. it's called The Missing Women of Nexium, and it's about four women who had been in Nexium and close to Keith, and they have never been found. And it was such a good documentary and it goes step by step about through their disappearance. And like the, the people in the cult were the last people they saw. And, oh, I absolutely believe that he had them killed. Oh my God. Oh my God. That, I mean, that, that is awful. And then you just- Allegedly, but- <laughs> Yeah, it's alleged. Alleg well, I mean, he'd have to sue you from prison, wouldn't he? I think he's there for the rest of his life, isn't he? Yeah, for over 100 years. And he actually wasn't sentenced to that amount. He was sentenced to like less than half of that. But um, throughout his sentencing, he was smirking and just like rolling his eyes and being disrespectful. And so they were like, oh, no, you're, get you're getting a lot more. Like you, you don't even understand the – you're choosing not to understand the – cause that you the impact you've created psychopath well how did how did then is it all just another cult and it's another just people just believe what he said how did Alison Mack who's a famous actress who was in Smallville how did she become somebody who's agreeing with him like yeah we should we should brand people you know with hot poker sticks uh with our initials what and then you have sex with them and we use secrets to we use their collaterals you know secrets as collateral over the years uh so that they can't speak out and can't stop it how is she doing that and also being like i'm doing this for the good of whatever so he spun it under the guise of you know it's empowering because you're a woman and you get to choose to do these sexual things with your body and you know he tried to spin it under like a bdsm narrative um which it really wasn't um because he used so much coercion and undue influence um it's really sad about allison mack that's probably the one i get the most comments on about like how i watched smallville how could she do this and i mean people were like so heartbroken over it and i do hope that when she's out of prison that she speaks out against him you know um it speaks out about what happened to her so people can learn from her how things happen because yes yeah, she was she destroyed a lot of lives too um but you know she did come out against him at trial um finally like she wasn't for a long time but then she finally did once she learned about like the room where he kept that girl um you know i think that it starts out little by little in the very beginning the first night that they met he starts twisting her mind because it was recorded on the vow and he starts talking to her about why does she like art and she's like oh i love art you know the cinema i love going to the theater um and seeing people at their best and their brightest and performing and i love to perform it just lights me up inside and it's so sweet because she's so happy talking about it and then he comes in and says well what if art is just you know a facade for people who really like don't know how to, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he's like, basically it's for people who can't do basically, they have to pretend to live these lives and yada, yada. And she starts, you can see 
something in her mind, she starts like thinking and she's like, I don't know. And then, so he just starts like asking little questions like that, that make her start doubting who she is and what she loves. And then he starts being like, you know, we have these enlightenment courses, we have this and this, because it really, people didn't really know Nexium was an MLM. They really thought it was a self-help empowerment thing. And they had all these courses that they taught. And, but from the beginning, he wooed Alice and Mac. I mean, they brought out the private plane of the Seagram sisters. They had the plane pick her up and fly her to New York to meet Keith. Um, they took her to like this island to hang out. I mean, he knew like he, he wanted her because of her power. She was one of the top celebrities there. Yeah, with well, again, it's straight out of the Scientology playbook. And speaking of celebrities, um, Justin Bieber's pastor. That's a weird thing. It's another. I love these things, and I think people really catch on to these stories because it's just like there are so many weird things in the world and people get called out for all kinds of like whether it's a microaggression or they slipped up they did the wrong thing and then you've got like whether it be tom cruise the most famous one of the most famous people on the planet is like basically the head of a cult and you've got justin bieber doing weird things what's what's going on with justin bieber um you know, I can't speak out for, I don't know what he's doing now. I know what happened when he was with Carl Lentz. Um, and I think, honestly, it was one of those things where he was also groomed. I mean, Carl Lentz came into his life when he was, I think he had just turned 18. He had been in, involved in his life beforehand, but not to that level. Um, and it was during the time when Justin was going through a ton of horrible things. Like he was acting out, he was getting banned from countries, he was getting a DUI. Um, and so Carl took him under his wing, um, which his mother wanted, you know, like she's very religious. And um, they developed a relationship from there. But I think for Carl, and I'm only speculating, but I think for Carl, he wanted that celebrity status. And he knew he could get that through Justin. I mean, he was with Justin like almost 24-7, except for when he wasn't preaching. They were together all the time. So I'm not saying Justin's innocent in anything. I don't think he was ever accused of anything. Um, but I, I think that Carl used him for that. Was he, isn't he, was he a bit of a weird guy, Carl? Carl was extremely charismatic. Uh, he was extremely charismatic. He was grew up in like fundamentalism and he when he was a youth pastor i mean yeah he was in a purity culture he would talk to his youth uh, youth group students about you know like their sex lives and uh, abstaining from sex or if they had sex outside of marriage then he would like belittle them and like shun them and make them feel like terrible people and then he was having affairs on his wife you know what i mean but he was extremely charismatic um and he he grew Hillsong to be one of the biggest mega churches in the country. So he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Must be a very wealthy man. I, I think he's also um, the pastor of like Kendall Jenner. Selena Gomez. I, well, Selena Gomez attended the church a couple of times. I don't know if she was actually, but Vanessa Hudgens and like Chris Pratt have been involved with Hillsong there. Bizarre. All this stuff. Um, this has been amazing, Josie. I need to get you back on another time because you're just a fountain of knowledge and that is reflected in your brilliant documentaries. I, I, You know what? I really appreciate um, what you do because it takes a lot of time and a lot of research to get those right. I mean, I know to make a documentary, uh, most people on YouTube aren't doing it. I don't do it. I don't have the, I, you know, I don't, I, and I'm stressed as it is. So imagine if you have to sit down and put together all the research and all the stuff and you put it all together. So I do encourage people to, to go to your your channel not the good 
girl uh is there is there anything else you'd like to say or, or about sending people there or, or which videos you'd like them to have a look at oh any and every i mean um my goal is just to show how these scams and these cults operate behind the scenes so people's eyes are open because anyone who's been a victim of any of these things you know you walk away and you're like i was an idiot i was so stupid but really you weren't you just weren't presented with all the information that you needed and i always say that people should show themselves some grace because had they have known now what they knew or known then what they know now, they probably wouldn't have joined and they wouldn't have got scammed. They wouldn't have had their lives ruined by this cult. So show themselves grace because they were coerced. They were influenced and yeah, it happens. Thank you, Josie, for joining me on today's show. She is absolutely brilliant. People, go show her some love on her YouTube channel, Not The Good Girl. Tell her you came from here. She'll probably like that. Did you learn a lot today about cults and MLMs or something left unsaid? Let me know through an Apple review. Do leave five stars if you want. Uh, or tweet or Instagram me on Gold underscore okay and also you know come watch on the youtube version more and more people there are up to nearly 45 well probably by the time this goes out it might have even passed that but around forty-five thousand subscribers at this moment in november 2022 so uh yeah come join us in the premieres the live ones that go out at uh, 9 p.m uk time 4 p.m eastern uh, on on youtube and we all chat there and it's a lot of fun that's all for now i'll see you thursday Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.